Right. All right. What's up, people? Hope everybody is well. Welcome back to the Onyx Report. Uh, we are getting it in this week. You ain't know, but it's good to have you back. Uh, been a busy one. The, yesterday was actually uh, my last day of teaching for the semester, so um, I think I'm 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 a bit exhausted, but in a good way. So it's all good. Um, but welcome to the Onyx Report. Right. Uh, this is where we as uh, black male justice advocates uh, advocate for boy, black boys and men using critical analysis. And we're going to continue to do that. That is what we are into. So as people are coming in the door, I know I didn't advertise this one until pretty late. But as I said, it's been a kind of crazy last couple of days. So uh, I got students reaching out to me trying to haggle for grades at this point. Finals are next week. And um Quite a bit of grading to do, so it is what it is. But at least for a few days, I'm kind of getting my bearings. I'm gonna let people come in uh, before we jump in. Get it going. All right. So in the meantime, we will take care of some uh, business. Uh, let me, as usual, shout out my members uh, on YouTube and Patreon. So let me. Uh, Pay them some due credit and check them out. Thank you uh, to my subscribers. Um, and just so I can get to a little bit of that, um, if you are interested in subscribing, well, please make sure you like, share, subscribe, join, and donate. And by join, I mean become a member of the Onyx Report or the Onyx Report Brotherhood, that is. Uh, you can do that on YouTube right next to the <laughs> subscribe button. What's up, Malika? Thank you for that. Uh, and you can go ahead and choose the level of membership you're interested in, all the way from gold to black opal, and they each come with different perks, uh, as well as being able to attend the after show we have every Wednesday after our live broadcast on YouTube. Uh, but also, you can go through Patreon and become a supporter along those lines as well. We have a film review series we do there, as well as uh, you can support the Institute for Black Male Studies, um, become a monthly contributor. So check all of those out and hopefully uh, support what we're doing. Now, to those who are coming into the comments, usually don't see as many Facebook, uh, but I think that has to do with StreamYard. But either way, what's up, Blake? What's up, Kalila? How you doing? Hope you're well. Uh, proud to be a simp. What's going on? Uh, Excalibur, uh, Ron, Tiffany, 
you know, thank y'all for coming through. Carl, what's going on? You know, so um, we're going to dive right in. And this week, uh, we only have a couple things that we're going to mention uh, before we get to the main gist of the program. Right. Uh, Sir Anthony, Mr. Woosaw, what's up? Um, let's see. All right. Get this in here. So y'all know that uh, the way we do it over here is that we celebrate black men. And we celebrate black men uh, with our Sacred Black Masculine series. And basically what that is, is we acknowledge brothers who have done something, uh, black males of any age who've done something of significance. And this is fairly organic. Um, I kind of treat it based on what comes to me. So if I don't do it in a given week or I don't mention something that you know about, it's not because I'm making a judgment. It's probably because it just hasn't run across my desk. But anytime you find some positivity, something brothers are doing, please make sure you shoot it to me. And you can go to thasanjohnson.com and you can email me through there and send me a link. You know, let me know. And I will definitely shout it out uh, if it uh, definitely, you know, presents brothers in the right light, you know, uh, highlighting what black men and boys are doing. Um, and speaking of which, you know, I want to shout this young man out right here. Uh, you can find this particular piece on www.ksdk.com. Uh, title reads, student wins scholarship then uses savings to help another student go to college. This is dated May 4th, so this is very recent. Right? Uh, when Joshua Nelson uh, had been saving for college, but when he earned a scholarship, he decided to use his savings to help another student go to college. He says, I plan to go to Southeast Missouri State and go into their pre-optometry program. I'll be majoring in biomedical sciences. What Josh didn't say is that SEMO offered him a scholarship that will happen when you're an excellent student, a three-year varsity basketball player and president of the school's Multicultural Achievement Committee. Josh saved up more than $1,000 for college, but since he earned a scholarship, he's decided to use his savings to help another student go to college. Over the next few weeks, with some help from his parents and teachers, he'll be accepting applications for this special scholarship with the hope that some donors will help uh, the 1000 dollars multiply okay. okay so if you'd like to donate electronically to the joshua nelson scholarship in action scholarship fund you can go to maxscholarsscw.weebly.com slash donations html or you can uh, uh donate uh, by let me see let me say you can donate uh, to the scholarship fund via check or money order and make it payable to saint charles west high school Please also write in the lower left-hand left corner, JN Scholarship, uh, and you can mail your donation to St. Charles West High School, attention, Yolanda Curry, 3601 D-R-O-S-T-E Road, Drost Road, St. Charles, Missouri, uh, area, area code six, I mean, uh, zip code 63301. All right, so shout out to this young man uh, for definitely extending his efforts to help others. That's what's up. Commendable as it is, because I don't know when I was 17, I had a thousand dollars and I realized that uh, I had a scholarship. I probably would have bought a whole bunch of stuff. So uh, shout out to him for actually thinking about others. Right. All right. So we got our special shout outs that we're going to go ahead and do this week. Um, and there's one in particular, a little, a little off topic, but nonetheless uh, relevant. 
that is to this gentleman here. Some of you um, who are black media nuts like myself might know who this brother is. Shout out to one Roscoe Lee Brown. Um, born May 2nd, 1922 and passed away April 11th, uh, 2007. Um, this brother is incredible. Uh, if you haven't been become familiar with his work, um, and he has work for every generation. I mean, this brother was born in 1922, but we are celebrating his birthday. And because I am a fan of his work, I have to. I first saw him in uh, Uptown Saturday Night when I was a kid. I saw him in The Cosby Show. Um, he became the voice of Kingpin and one of the Spider-Man series. He's been all over the place. He was in The Proud Family. Uh, he was even an epic movie in 2007. He's been doing all kinds of stuff. Will and Grace, Law and Order. Uh, he was in the film Treasure Planet. Uh, he's been in everything. This brother has had a prolific career. He was in ER. Uh, he played in Babe in the Big City. Of course, Spider-Man, the animated series. Um, you know, his voice is tremendous. I mean, he is up there uh, with Morgan Freeman and Keith David, a number of my favorite voice artists. And uh, he's incredible. Appreciate that support, Timothy. Um, so, you know, check him out. If you're not familiar, you can go to imdb.com and look at him there. Um, he was in a different world. I mean, his resume is ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. He is one of our gems and, uh, an acting icon. So to Roscoe Lee Brown, I just wanted to say uh, happy birthday from the Onyx Report. And we are so glad that we've gotten to enjoy your talents over the years. MLR, appreciate the Cash App support. All right. Brother Lawrence, good to see you in here. Um, let's see. Hi, Scholar. What's happening? See a few people slid in. Um, you know, so uh, we just want to acknowledge that. Trouble Man, what's going on? Neustel, what's up? Art, what's going on? Sir Anthony. All right. Jamila, what's happening? We got a few people in here doing it. So, let me see here. Let me get this uh, going here. Now, remember, you can go to the Institute for Black Male Studies .com. You can support in, another, in a whole nother way, and that is to purchase merchandise through the site. You can go to the site, click on merchandise, and see a number of things we have there. Shirts, uh, jackets, hats, the whole deal. You can support along those lines. And if you click on store, you can actually see a number of free lectures, as well as we have classes and webinars available to you that you can partake in at your speed when you are ready. we got 97 in the building. Please, again, like, share, subscribe, join, and donate to support the channel. And uh, let us get it in. So y'all know the deal. Today, we're dealing with this question of, is Black masculinism just Black feminism in reverse? And where does this come from? Well, I've actually heard this accusation for some years now. Now, I developed the concept of black masculinism uh, several years ago. Um, and then when I came into doing some work formally in black male studies, you know, it was one of my contributions to the early discourse as we began to develop the field. Right. And basically what we try to do with it is to use empirical data uh, and accurate historical analysis to articulate black male narratives in ways that subvert, um, you know, non-empirical, often fictional accounts of black males and what we stand for, what we've done, what we've experienced and, you know, what we think about it. 
You know, uh, I try to challenge those things with accurate information. And that's roughly what black masculinism stands for. But recently I was having an exchange on Facebook. I noticed, you know, and this tends to happen. You know, you get people, you get detractors that want to come in and argue. Um, and this ends up being one of the things they kind of lob at you. You know, well, this is this is no different than black feminism. You guys are just the same thing. It's like, no, if you come in with disrespect and you start fighting with people, you probably gonna get, appreciate that, Xavier. You're probably going to get uh, some some uh, passion right back at you. But we tend to keep it empirical. Right. And on my page, I don't allow name calling or any of that. We get to the point, you make an argument, back the argument up with data, provide a link. Uh, if the argument is based on feelings or based on an assertion, that's fine. But just say so. And we go from there. But uh, we try to keep it, you know, professional. And we try to focus on data and people, you know, want to argue for a variety of reasons. But in that particular discussion, there were a couple of black masculines in there. Um, shout out to David McTow. And we were talking explicitly about black male uh, reproductive rights. And this is not a phrase that most people have ever really heard of. But we're fundamentally talking about, and this is something that really applies to to men in general, but there are elements of it that are specific to African-American history, especially as it relates to black men. But nevertheless, we were talking about the options or lack thereof for black men. And in terms of reproductive, um, you know, um, um, or pharmaceutical uh, birth control methods, we were talking about how, for the most part, men have the same methods they've had for the last 70 years. Right. All the development in this area has principally been for women. You know, uh, from the pill onward, women have a variety of ways where they can determine the outcome of sex in regard to reproduction uh, by using uh, using uh, uh, instruments, using pharmaceuticals that from before, during or after the sex act, give them an extraordinary amount of control over their bodies. And the argument that I have people extend back when I point out how vulnerable men are in terms of reproduction is, well, they should have just kept it in their pants. Now, this is a very dismissive attitude, which is off, which is also the case when you get this argument that black masculinism is just black feminism. You know, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a dismissive gesture that they use to avoid dealing with the argument itself. That's the first thing. And when you hear things like, especially if you're talking about reproductive rights, he should have kept it in his pants. That, too, is deflective and it's disingenuous in an argument, really. But when you really get to the core of it. These are the same things they used to say to women before the pill. When a girl would get pregnant at 15 and wanted to go to college and become a doctor and had to become a housewife because it was either that or use a clothes hanger, people would actually say, well, she should have kept her legs closed. So now that men are vulnerable in this area, you'll, you'll readily hear feminists make arguments like that. Well, he should have just kept it in his pants, which is ironic at best, because now you're dealing with uh, the same type of vulnerability and instead of actually having any kind of compassion the way feminists were asking for decades ago, they respond the same way. Right? So we were having a conversation about that. And we were trying to deal with it. And, and of course, Kevin Samuels is right. You're ultimately, what you end up dealing with more often than not, than not is sign language. Right? And if you're not familiar, what does he call sign language? Shame, insult, guilt, and the need to be right. And then multiple times. Appreciate that, Michael. Uh, that support thank you but multiple times um you know, you'll find people attempting to do just that right they'll try to shame you they'll try to guilt you 
Um, you know, they'll insult you at one point, and that's one of the things that happened as well in the discussion. Got to the point where you had, you know, people just mocking the argument. But this is real. This is real. Just as in the 50s, you got a 15-year-old girl that is experimenting with sex and has to pay for it for the rest of her life. You have a 15-year-old boy who can have sex for the first time, and now his entire future is in the hands of just whoever he was with. And instead of acknowledging the kinds of structural issues at play that give her an extraordinary amount of power and make him extraordinarily vulnerable, instead of acknowledging those dynamics, we just tell him to suck it up. So if she determines he needs to be a young father or she determines not, it's all in her hands. And one of the things we talked about when we deal with the, when we, dealt, we developed the black male political agenda, one of the first issues up there in terms of reproductive rights is the financial abortion. We push for the option. Men should have the option. If it's her body, her choice, which we are completely cool with, he should be able to decide if he wants to be involved. Straight up. But to have that conversation, you got to have the issue taken seriously enough and the arguments being put on the table taken seriously enough to have a dialogue. And if you're just going back with somebody that just wants to argue or just wants to advocate for women and completely ignore the issues of boys and men, it's a disingenuous argument. So I rarely engage it unless there's an opportunity for others to learn from it, especially men, because I want men to be able to articulate these issues beyond just going back and forth. But I fundamentally also want to prepare you, brothers, if you engage in these arguments, you're fine. You're really more often than not just dealing with somebody who wants to fight and wants to belittle and mock. Now, here's the thing. There were a couple of people that came in the discussion and they came in disrespectfully. And they were met with the same degree of, of passion that they came in with. And of course, they didn't like it. But there were a couple of people who came in with nothing but respect. And here's the thing. If you can come in with respect, even in disagreeing, we can agree to disagree. But if you come in with drama and disrespect, you're going to get ran out. So the reality is, you know, if you want to have a discussion, you want to deal with these issues, as long as you're willing to take them seriously enough to engage them, we can go there. Because there's really a lot to this. Men in and of themselves have been suffering this for quite a while, especially as long as the state has been looking to offset the expenses of taking care of families uh, that need by putting them on to any man that they can. This has put men in a very vulnerable position. This is why you can be you can you can be with a woman who has kids that obviously aren't yours and you become financially responsible to to them. She can hit you up for child support as far as family court is concerned. Because the state is trying to offset these expenses on whomever they can, even if it isn't the biological father. And in many ways, this is a problem for men. It seriously is. And so we look to take it seriously. But in the midst of all of this, there was something else that happened. Right? A friend of mine, who many of you are familiar with and who I love to have on my show as often as possible, because I dig talking to him. I talk to him on air, off air. Uh, we'll talk till three, four in the morning just because the brother's just that cool. Um, and in that respect, you know, I, I thought I'd invite him back uh, as, as usual, and I'll have him on as often as he wants to. But uh, all of you know, and if you don't, this is my boy, BGS, uh, and I'm going to bring him in here to talk about something that occurred uh, yesterday. What's up, man? Hey, Doc. What's going on? You, man. How you doing? Pretty good. All right. Uh, Colin, thanks for the Cash App support. Um, here's the thing. In the midst of thinking about all of this, you dropped a video mm -hmm. 
And um, you got a couple. I mean, there's, you know, I got my top three, you know, the, 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 the Cynthia G kick rocks video, the video where you drop the gynocracy and explain what it is. I mean, you have videos that I was walking around in public stores cussing, listening to. <laughs> you dropped another one yesterday, man. And this has now entered my top three, right? This is a powerful piece. And I want you guys to support it. I want to um, uh, put the link in the comment section. You know, um, it's short. He drops it. I almost played the whole thing. I damn near did. I said, but, you know, I forgot that I knew the brother, so I don't have to play the whole thing. I'll bring him in and we can talk about it. Um, but I definitely want people to go check it out because um, he drops some hard truths. And whether you agree or disagree they are truths that we need to reflect on. We need to actually, you know, meditate on because as black men, you drop something about what we grapple with in relationships that you wanted to say. Do you want to give a bit of a synopsis of what you were talking about? Okay. Uh, okay. The title of the video was uh, uh, They Don't Want Us. And, right. and it's not the fact that uh, it's not the fact that uh, uh, they don't need us around. They do. OK, they need black men uh, around. They need black men to marry, to have families with uh, is because they have very few options. Um, but the things what I'm what I mean by uh, they don't want us, we're not their first choice as a group. I'm not saying every black woman is the same and some black women don't truly want a black man first. But the thing is, is that as a group, they we're really not their first choice. And uh, feminists have said that that uh, um, uh, there was a couple of feminists that even wrote, wrote in their books that um, the fact that white men won't marry them is the biggest effect of racism. Mm. Mm. Okay. So, so the thing is, is that uh, if you know, we've heard, you know, God knows, we've heard that on um, panels, on in books, stuff like that. What black men need to uh, do to qualify to be with a black woman okay. and if we can't qualify you know jump over these series of hurdles then we can't be with them mm. and uh, and you know it, and I've asked no other group uh, no matter how poor they are has to go through that there are no qualifications to be with their women or be respected by their women or be accepted by their women and what really brought this on was a few things uh, one um, there was a video uh uh, asking the question, um, do black men deserve respect? And that is a big thing going on, on especially on YouTube. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you see it sprinkling here on Facebook. You see it sprinkling here on Twitter and in the the feminist, the, the black female blogs. Mm -hmm. Okay. About uh, black men not deserving a respect because they, you know, they haven't done anything from get a job or get an education all the way up to conquering white supremacy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, it's, and they say, well, unless we do these things, accomplish these things, then we as men are not deserving of respect and we're lesser than. Right. And, and we're the only, probably the only group of men probably on the planet that has that, that kind of um, request from their women just mm -hmm. to get basic respect. Mm -hmm. Basic level. Just basic level respect. Mm -hmm. And and so, so it, I got to thinking that you know, uh, I got to think, I was actually reading a book uh, called uh, Do Black Women Hate Black Men? And there was a there was a piece in there that they were, they were saying about 
um, which is something we all, we all know, okay, as, as black men, if you were raised in a family, even a two-parent household, that um, if there's come to, the, if, if there's something that's going to be educated, one, a, a kid child is going to be educated, and there's a boy and a girl, the girl's going to get denied first. Yeah. They're going to make sure she's educated. They're going to make sure she has everything she needs to go to school and be successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and in the piece, they said they leave the boy to figure it out for himself yes. or make the they do the best that he can. Mm-hmm. And in, the, in this book, he's saying is normally what happens is that he, the guy, the boy hits 18. He's got to find out, um, take it, as he says, take his chances. And he finds out his chances are in the street. Okay, and then we find out on the street that you have very little chance or almost no chance of success. Right. Right. And that got me to thinking is that, okay, no other group of people does that to their men, to their males. And I got to thinking, why is that? And I said, the thing is, that you really aren't wanted by them. Okay, you're tolerated. Okay, you're necessary, but you're not wanted. Uh Uh Uh-huh. And and they, they know it, it. It it you know it's something that came to me, man. Like you know, like you, you have a inspiration, and you, my animal said, "You need to talk about this." I said, <laughs> even though it's just an opinion, I said it's not. You know, I said it, I said up front, it's just an opinion. There's no hardcore. I mean, there are facts behind it, but there's no really hardcore facts that are really. And I said, I'm just offering an opinion as I see it. Mm. I've known that from um, all my relationships with my women, they were I was necessary. And they were, quote, unquote, happy with me. But there was always something. Mm. It was always some kind of dissatisfaction with me from all of them that, you know, trying to get them to cooperate, even sometimes if it's in their best interest, they just didn't want to cooperate. And that's another thing that um, that uh, black women spit out is that anywhere from uh, submission at the highest level to even smiling on the street at a black man was Mm. something like this. Like Kevin said, they felt put upon. Mm. To smile at a black man, to be friendly with a black man, to talk nice, like like they always say, it's hard for black women just to be nice to their own men. Mm. And then that, that, it came to the conclusion that said, okay, it's not that you're not worthy; it's that they don't really want you like that. And this is this is something we can look at in terms of policy, you know. And that's that's you know that's been my big push, and we've had a, a hundred conversations about that. But the way in which policy can play a role in um, and actually shaping behavior over generations, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, in terms of that. So, so what I've heard described on here as a, a, a low boiling contempt mm-hmm. for black men, I know I've experienced. I know many men I've sat down with and talked to have experienced. I know men who are adversaries to the manosphere uh, can still talk about having mm-hmm. experiences with. I have brothers that write me under the table who are everything from, you know, men that work at grocery stores to brothers with doctorates to, to medical doctors that will write me under the table, send me emails and say, man, I've experienced this very thing. And it's so rampant. And yet, interestingly, not something that we find a lot of people publicly discussing in certain circles, especially in academia, but this kind of low boiling contempt mm-hmm. that, yes. that, that many black men can speak mm-hmm. to. And, and low level disrespect. And low level disrespect. And, and, and one of the things we think about is, okay, well, what, you know, and especially in the 1980s, what men were told is that if you, if you develop yourself to the degree where you can check boxes, mm-hmm. you'll finally be loved. You'll finally be cared for. You'll finally be treated with respect. And check boxes means that you meet all of the criteria we've heard. And what's, what's the criteria we've heard 
since the 1980s. Uh, $100,000 a year, uh, educated, have a degree as, as much as possible, at least a bachelor's. And if it's a PhD, then you're really on top. Um, your own house, your credit. Um, I mean, the list goes on. But, yeah, those are the boxes that they, they want you to check. And that's just the, uh, the top side we can talk about. We're not talking about the sexual side. Oh, you mean porn star level skill? Porn star level skills yes sir uh, genetic gifts yes yeah, so, <laughs> it's called spine all spine chilling uh <laughs> orgasms yes <laughs> right, which is both a product of uh genetics and skill and know? skill yes uh-huh which, so is, is, you, which makes you a master concubine as they say right, you right. know Absolutely. the other the first half of the the concubine right appreciate that uru Absolutely. You know, if you so if you can bring that together and become really a ma- this magical Negro, <laughs> which, mm-hmm. which many of us have sought to become over the mm-hmm. decades, um, the, the assertion was that you would then be paid with what others would consider a very basic level mm-hmm. of, of respect, of, of even just niceness. Yes. What you know, what have we heard in the last few years as brothers have begun to communicate using social media in ways that we couldn't communicate in the 80s and the 90s. We started to compare notes. We started to share. And what you found was more often than not, whether you were a street brother or whether you had advanced degrees, there was a similarity of experience in this area where it almost didn't matter what you achieved or what you didn't. There was still a base level of contempt. Uh, appreciate yeah. Professor Conroe. Hope you're well. Um, but, you know, it, it, but this is the issue on the table. And, 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 and I think what drew a lot of people to uh, this area of <laughs> yeah, uh, this area of, of YouTube is just the realization mm-hmm. that you, you know it, it, the accomplishments don't change anything, and then you get kind of dismissed because the accomplishments are considered materialistic, and mm-hmm. but that's not why brothers did it. Mm-hmm. We were told it was almost like an unspoken contract. You know, if you could achieve these things, there would be a basic level of respect and love extended to you. And what brothers are figuring out is that doesn't change anything. So no, no, it, it, especially nowadays with you know with over the last year or so with the the question of a high value man, okay. you know that, that meets that checks these boxes and meets these criterias, and they're getting drugged through, through social media. That you know, how dare you consider mm. yourself special because you're a high value man because you do check these boxes. You have jumped over all these hoops. And now the these the same people that, that set up the criteria they're trying to drag you down. Absolutely. So we we get to, you know, I want to get to a couple of things that you mentioned because in this whole question of feminism and masculinism, what you know, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. Not interested in slandering women. I think what, what I'm interested in is getting to the core of how we got here. Mm-hmm. Right? And and there are levels of it historically, and this is something you've talked about a lot in your work. That you, you had levels of it during slavery, you had levels of it during Reconstruction, you know, uh, the Great Migration, the World War II. There were degrees. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things we talked about when we got together and did uh, Their Eyes Were Watching God, I mean, mm-hmm. this is a book written in 1937. Mm-hmm. And you can see some of this contempt playing out. But, yes. you know, you know, my emphasis is really post 1960s, 1970s, where I think it, it went nuclear especially by the time you hit the 80s. The 80s is when it was on the table. Uh, the 60s and 70s is really when it began to, to boil, it began to simmer. But, 
you know, in terms of how we got here in your assessment, especially to the point where, and I quote, you, you made this statement in the video that I thought was profound. You said where meanness is a dating strategy. Yes. How do we get in your assessment? How do we get to this point where meanness is a dating strategy? I, I think, I think that does come from the slavery experience that, uh, you know, to survive that, that, um, that environment uh, between each other, you had to have a certain level of toughness. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I, I, you know, I, I think that when you develop a certain level of toughness, a certain level of talking to each other that way, um, that even even in their, their eyes can watch in God, you can see the, 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 the banter, the snarkiness, what we call snarkiness, back and forth, just them talking to each other, even mm-hmm. the, the, the heavyweight teasing and then in the name calling all the kind of stuff that was done back then. You know, in, even if it was in jest, and that was that was courting, yeah. and I think that's where it comes from because uh, a harsh environment would would will actually um, develop a harsh culture, and I think we've developed a harsh culture from you know from I do believe it's from the slave the the, the overseer's whip, okay, and uh, you know they had to uh, teach each other to be harsh and harsh with each other, and had to teach their children to be harsh to survive the experience. So I think that's where it comes from. So I think that, I think we developed that kind of uh, mating strategy from this in, from, from from this experience mm-hmm. and it's we've never corrected it. So even today, uh, our mating strategy is hard. The way we talk to each other is harsh. Like, uh, um, I, you know, uh, say even in the, there I was watching God right back in the 30s. Right. And I'm sure she was writing about her experiences back in the, the teens and the 20s. OK. Mm-hmm. When they met, a uh, woman would always, you know, uh, pretend like she doesn't like you right or she would turn her head and i remember my my, my experiences in the dating scene which is why i don't like clubs right um the initial reaction of walking in the black club the women would all turn their heads mm. and, and and pretend to ignore you oh yeah or uh one of the things we started to see in the 80s too when you saw mm. groups of women together it began mm. a sport yes disrespect black men as a group yes and that was a whole that was a, you know, that was a whole thing in and of itself. Right. It, to embarrass him publicly, to disrespect him. There's almost, you know, a weathering kind of test that took place. Yes. You know, really not something I saw with other groups in the same way. Yeah. Hey, and if you can remember, as, as you know, because I, I had uh, I had a, a young man that was in, um, in, in, in one of my panels. Right. And he was he was saying that he was in high school and it was a. Um, you know, there was a, a a white girl that that liked black guys. Okay, and okay. and and uh, he raised his hand to ask a question, and she was snarky with him, mm. and to the point where she was always mean, almost mean. And he said he didn't he didn't understand it. And I said, uh, I said, yeah, she probably learned that mating strategy from from a black girl. And okay. sure enough, she had a, her, all her friends were black girls. Well, and I said, I said she probably liked you. And he said, sure enough, she tried to get a ride. She tried to. Uh, snuggle up to him in the, in the library, but the thing is, is that <laughs> that comes from being a that comes from being a little kid. You know, I remember when I was eight years old. Uh, uh, the first little girl that liked me, she punched me in the arm, okay, <laughs> and called me a few names. <laughs> right, right. And it's cute at eight. It ain't at cute eight. at thirty-eight. At thirty-eight, but the thing is, it never changes. Mm-hmm. That is the way you learn to relate to each other. Right. But there, you know, one of the things that that sparked me on this this week that mm-hmm. had me really meditating on it is I was, I, I woke up one morning, I think this was probably about Monday and I was like, okay, you know, let, let me, let me step back. 
because, you know, I have people who comment on my work and, my, you know, things I'm putting out there and they're saying you're being too hard, you're being too mean, you know, mm-hmm. you're, 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 you, you hate women, all these kinds of things. So I said, okay, let me, let me just chill. And I called that day, I called an elder family member and I said to myself, you know, okay, let me just connect, you know, and hear and see what's out there. Maybe I'm tripping. So I get in a conversation with this elder, uh, you know, family member and, uh, you know, we chit chat for a little while and then she starts to, you know, tell me about communicating with a younger female family member. And they were talking about uh, having children mm-hmm. and, you know, they, they're going back and forth and she kind of forgot who she was talking to for a minute. <laughs> got real comfortable and she forgot. Mm-hmm. Me. She was mm-hmm. talking to me like she was, I was with her girlfriends or something. And then she, you know, when they got to this whole issue of uh, whether or not to have a child um, with a man that you're not going to marry, mm-hmm. popped out and said, "But you know, you got to be careful because you don't want these niggas in here help. You know, trying to decide what to do with the child. You want complete control." And then mm-hmm. she froze and she was like, "Oh, yep." She yeah, forgot who she was talking to. Yeah, the mask slipped. The mask slipped, and I was mm-hmm. like. Why, if there was any confirmation that, that what I'm doing is important, is necessary, <laughs> this random phone call where mm-hmm. I'm contemplating, okay, am I going too hard in the paint? Did I miss something? It was just a casual phone call. There was nothing behind it. I didn't set it up. I wasn't trying to, it just, and I just said, now, and I thought about it. I said, okay, this is a baby boomer mm-hmm. who is passing on this information to Gen X's. Mm-hmm. And X is passing that information on, and so you know, so on and so forth. And this is mm-hmm. principally through girls. I mean, the majority, majority of my maternal side of the family is female, so this was a, a member, an elder member of the, the you know, my maternal side of the family. And mm-hmm. I'm saying, this is how y'all talk to each other. And I told her that. I said, now see, then now see, you had problems with my work, but listen to what came out your mouth. And there wasn't an acknowledgement. There was well. I, I was talking about men that, you know, kill their wives. Mm. Or, yeah. Is this what we're doing? That's what we're doing now. We mm. Really? Really? Less than 1% of black men. It's not even 1%. You want to deal with the, the fraction of 1% of black men that do that as a justification for what you just said. It had nothing to do. Mm-hmm. Nothing. We weren't talking about abuse. We weren't talking about intimate partner homicide. It had nothing to do with it. You want to make sure these niggas don't have any input. On yeah, you want complete control, complete autonomy. Control. Yeah, unless he's paying. And it's like, I'm not crazy. That was that was. <laughs> I was just sitting. There, I was like, if the, if this ain't an example of the universe telling me, appreciate that, Kimmy. Because if, if this ain't an example of the universe telling you to keep going, I don't know what is. But that was so out of the blue. And, mm-hmm. and and I'm not used to seeing the mask slip a whole lot, but it was mm-hmm. a good thing to see because it was like, okay, this 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 low boiling contempt we talk about, this is coming, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, from a married elder. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm saying if this is a level of contempt that's coming from married elders, what are mm-hmm. single younger women extending? And I can mm-hmm. I know I've directly experienced it, so it's a rhetorical question. But it led me back to that. Appreciate that, J-Dub. It, it, it led me to the statement you were making about, you know, meanness as a dating strategy. But mm-hmm. also another component that you said that I really I was really drawn to. You said they hate needing us. They do. Right. They hate needing us. And that was that was principally what the discussion was about. She was saying 
that in order to reproduce, you obviously need seed from mm-hmm. a man. Mm-hmm. But how can you get the seed without allowing him to have input? Right. You know what I mean? That's 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 one of the things that I noticed. And I and, and from that moment when you said it, it brought it out, and I could see it like plain right in front of me. You know, see it for what it is without the you know the the kind of uh, you know disruption that I bring to it because I don't want to accept that. I, you know, I'm fighting against it. I'm trying to create this image in my head of women that want us because we are their men and, and having to come to the reality that there's a, there's a thing here mm-hmm. that people are saying isn't there. You know, people are trying to tell us doesn't exist. Appreciate that, Micah, but it's real. Yeah. So we get to this contempt about actually having to need us. And mm-hmm. I've actually had exes say that aloud. I, I, I hate that I can't just, you know, be rid of you. Or I hate that, you know, actually one woman actually told me, I hate that I can't stop loving you. And mm. it sounds like a, a compliment in a love song, but mm. she wasn't saying it in a complimentary manner. She was saying it like she really resented that she felt the vulnerability that comes with loving someone. You know mm-hmm. I mean? But yeah. this this hate to need us, can you, can you, can you expound on that? Uh, you know, in, in any in any society, right, there's, you know, and, and Jim Sedanius talks about the social dominance theory, right? In any society, the, the females will gravitate to the uh, the higher social status, as higher social status as they can. And unfortunately, uh, black men, as Claude Anderson has said, are the the designated underclass. In other words, and I think in my video, I said, we're the floor. Mm, mm. We we are the floor, and said okay. I said the floor supports you and it, it holds you up, but also, what do you do to a floor? You walk on it. Wow, wow. And and you don't respect your floor. You don't respect your floor till you fall through it. Okay, you never think about your floor. You never respect your floor. You do all kinds of stuff to your floor until it breaks and you fall through it. Then you worry about your floor. And I think that is the case that where uh, black women see us. Okay. Well, it, by the way, that was that was a cussing moment for me. Mm. The moment I heard that, I was like, at BGS, you know, I was I was cussing. I was like, damn, because because it, it was dead on, you know. And I hadn't I hadn't heard it put that way before. You're the floor. Yes, we're, we're the de- we're the we're the default, you know. Because uh, you, you got to remember, man. You know, if you if you if you know, because God knows, I've read in the last couple of months, man. I've I've had to read at least six books on. Uh, things to do with slavery and the economics of slavery and you, after emancipation okay you gotta remember that the, we're, we're we're not an organic group okay mm-hmm. uh, a black african-american or the negro which is a proper name so that's why i use negro because that's the proper name of the class that we're that was actually created okay 91 percent of negroes were actually born and 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 bred in this country on purpose to be in slavery when we weren't captured in slavery we actually bred into slavery okay we're bred to be work units Mm -hmm. and after emancipation they had nothing else to do with you okay so basically they basically assigned you women we were actually assigned you know just like you know we weren't organically put together we're actually assigned to each other and it's never been organically uh, meshed. You know, you can see that we, you know, we 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 made do with what we had, and we, you know, we came together to work through the uh, through the environment through Jim Crow. 
But thing is, as soon as as as, as Marty had noticed, as soon as Jim Crow ended, uh, black women tried to separate. That's where it comes in with the Moynihan scissors, where where welfare went up, even as uh, uh, bl uh, black male unemployment went down. Okay, normal every other group. Okay, they the women come off of welfare when their man gets a job because they want to keep the family together. Black women chose another path, mm -hmm. and that's why Moynihan had to stop and write the report because he said something's different about this group of people, this group of Americans. We need to find out what it is. And all this and all the stuff about this low level disrespect, this low level contempt, this low level, you know, whatever uh, about for their own men was always there. It's been, there with, you know, you know, if you read Frazier's book, the, the Negro Family in the United States, which is what one hand named his paper after it was there, you know, even before slavery, even before uh, slavery ended. Well, quickly, so real quick, quick. shout out to Michael Green and Kashif. Uh, for the cash app, appreciate that. Shout out to Darius, uh, appreciate that support. Um, but you can you you can even see it listening to Sojourner Truth when she talks about this whole question of black men getting the vote and mm -hmm. this comparison of black men to white men in terms of black men being oppressive even more so mm -hmm. if, this, the, 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 if they get the vote. So this kind of misandry that we're talking mm -hmm. about is not new. It's not new. It goes back quite a while. But it's 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 buoyed, it's lifted, it's it's exacerbated, if you will, by uh, you know political advancements that occur over time. What you're talking about is the shift with welfare, and instead of it bringing families together, mm -hmm. uh, especially when we saw an increase in employment, it, it was viewed the opposite way. It was viewed as an opportunity mm -hmm. to not have to be not, not have to need black men. Mm -hmm. Now, if this is happening in the 40s and the 50s, how does that then get translated? to the next generation and to the next generation. You know what I mean? And when we act like these things aren't, I, I find outside of YouTube, I, you know, even in the Academy, I find, I rarely find discussions about how these things impacted worldview and attitudes by race and gender, particularly in the black community. We don't have yeah. those conversations enough in my assessment. Yeah. So when, so when you do your work, which is advocating for, you know, advocating for your boys who are obviously suffering because you know, God knows you've gone through thousands of stats and situations and in books and articles about how uh, black boys are suffering under this oppressive situation um, or this oppressive society. And uh, black women, especially at the top, blow it off like it's, it's, no, it's not necessary. Basically, uh, they just like in the book, they said, OK, you get black men have to go out and take their chances. Mm. Black boys have to take their chances. In other words, we know they need help, but guess what? We don't think they need help. Or do, we don't think they're deserving of help. I think that's probably a greater uh, thing. Uh, we don't think they're deserving of help. Yeah. I mean, to the point where we know the reading levels are so ridiculously low. And yet, to me, the reading levels are, are frustrating enough. Reading math and science, you know, and this mm -hmm. is something that I've talked about on the show. Where we talk about black boys by the eighth grade, only 10% are proficient in reading, 12% in math and science. And yet what frustrated me more than that was the lack of outcry. Mm -hmm. uh, the lack of outcry uh, is what blew me away more than anything um, and not hearing it. And then when I thought about it and I'm saying, OK, well, you know, we, we got our girls who are the most enrolled in higher education across race and gender. How then do the, the, do the two things relate for K, you know, especially through high school, I was going to say K through 12, but, you know, through high school, you're talking about one demographic in the same community, 
Mm-hmm. That's the highest enrolled. The other demographic, far behind in terms of reading, math, and science, and no outcry whatsoever mm-hmm. in any significant way. How does that make sense? Especially over the last, you know, people said it since the the seventies or the sixties. No, this has been since the eighteen nineties. It was designated, you know, uh, that the black males didn't need education past the sixth grade and girls, you know, black girls needed as much education as they uh, could. Like even in the uh, the book, The Eyes of Watching God, um, Granny wanted her daughter to school out. School out, yeah. yeah. In other words, get as much education she could so she can get the, the best chance and pick the best mates that she could find. Yeah. Okay. You never saw that for, for black men. In fact, uh, I think... Uh, like Guru said, uh, most black men uh, left school in the seventh or eighth grade to actually start working for the with the family to actually send the girls to school. Yeah, yeah, and that was a time period in the in the middle part of the twentieth century where, when you talk to a man of, of say my grandfather's age, mm-hmm. uh, he can tell you more often than not I dropped out in the third grade, the sixth grade, the ninth grade, and, mm-hmm. and, and because that was a labor strategy for black men. Yes, it was. Which was viable when you could actually, you know, you could work with your hands in a manner where you could feed your family. You know, mm-hmm. so it, 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 it wasn't as much of a disruption until you had this deindustrialization that hit mm-hmm. and, yes. and all of a sudden the jobs were gone. Yes. And yes. there was no structural re, re, redefining of the direction of black men. There was no heavy emphasis or investment Mm-hmm. black men and and before you say you know there's no such thing as investing in one demographic in the black community that's what we're seeing right now mm-hmm. I've been seeing it for the last year I've, you know i've been one of the ones who've been outspoken during the pandemic about a lot of these new grants that were popping up to support small entrepreneurship in the black community mm-hmm. none of them were earmarked for black men not one i've yet to find someone that can show me one and even if you did it would be one but mm-hmm. During that whole period last year where there was so much emphasis on helping mom and pop businesses, nothing earmarked for black men. Appreciate that, Mars. And then after that, when we started to see a serious investment post the death of George Floyd, right, we started to see this investment in black girls via corporations like Goldman Sachs, putting Mm -hmm. forth billions and nothing for black boys. And the idea that I heard people saying under the table was, well, this is we're rationalizing this because it's women. That are you know in the streets, they're advocating for black men, they're they're protesting, uh, and, and black men are doing nothing. That, that's the kind of subtext that we get. Black men are doing nothing. What do you think about that? You, as you say, you you are actually using you know black men are doing nothing except dying, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're not doing anything, but but the thing is, is that you're using their deaths to promote yourself. Mm-hmm. So who's playing the ultimate price? The women are protesting in the streets uh, with officers, maybe putting a, a zip tie around their, their, their hands and, and and letting them go the, uh, uh, later on within a few hours of the men that men are actually dying in the street to police violence. Or even if protesting, they have to they have to uh, with actually withstand violence mm-hmm. from police. They're actually targeted. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, is that at the at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you're using uh, we're supposed to be a community, okay? Mm-hmm. And we're supposed to help out the most vulnerable people that are that that in our society, in our community. Mm-hmm. And are, are we a community or not? Because uh, 
the, the, the rights and the, and the privileges that they have, you know, is, isn't because uh, black women were in the streets. It's because black men burned down 100 cities in 1968. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the Kerner Commission actually gave you all this, this equal opportunity. It wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. So, so now there's a couple areas we can talk about this uh, in, in, in a way that doesn't generally get invoked in this context. We talk about activism. What mm-hmm. you're suggesting is that the uprisings that took place mm-hmm. that were in, in, in many ways male-led were mm-hmm. had an impact on the political advancement of black folk. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because we don't talk about activism in that way. Activism now is solely in the streets holding signs or doing so over social media. It's protest along those lines. But we don't talk about the ways in which something like um, uh, upri- an uprising actually moved the needle Mm-hmm. Right? In terms of, of in terms of political advancement, but then the other side of it too is the military, military service. Mm-hmm. What black men have been doing in the military since the Civil War? How did that? Appreciate that, Adam. How did that, in your assessment, impact how I how we were able to advance at least in regard to having certain rights acknowledged, having oh, uh, oh, on the table? If you think about it, okay. If you go back in history, okay, civil rights. Uh, basically first started with the Pullman Porter strike, you know, mm-hmm. in the 30s. Yes, sir. Okay, with men actually risking their lives against one of the most powerful corporations in, in the nation at the time, the Pullman, the, the Pullman Porters, the, the, the trains, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Railroads, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, they were beaten, they were killed, they were disappeared. Yes, sir. Okay, uh, and, and, and basically the, the reason that you finally got what we call civil rights or integration, okay, is because you had uh, uh, two experiences. One after World War One, which is the, the Red Summer, where they were uh, lynching and hanging uh, ex-soldiers coming back from World War One, and then the, then again at, in 1945 after World War Two, when when the black soldiers came back and were being lynched again, and they demanded they demanded Truman. And Eisenhower to do something. He said, "We served this country. We fought for the country. We died for this country for hundreds of years, and this is how we were paid. We can't even come back and get the benefits that everybody else is getting. We have proved ourselves equal." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And finally, Truman and, and, and Truman and Eisenhower said, "You know what? We're going to relent. We're going to start. We're going to start this process." And that's where the process started. It wasn't about protesting or, or, or basically uh, uh, doing a line dance in front of a, a BLM sign or whatever. That's where it started. Are you talking about twerking, sir? I am talking about twerking, sir. How dare you? Wow. That is a viable form of activism, brother. I'm just I'm just saying twerking. <laughs> well, in other words. The, 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 basically, and I've said this: the this country and what black people have in this place in this country is just not is not built on uh, uh, black female activism. It's built on the bodies of black men. Mm-hmm. You know, even in Jim Crow with the, with the work camps and all the people, all the all the people that that died in those work camps under Jim Crow, that whose bodies have still yet to be dug up. I mean, in Texas, they had they dug up like what four or five thousand bodies from from pri- from prison work camps. That have been there for 30 years. Yeah. And one of the things we saw, especially during Reconstruction, is that within a matter of years, the rate of death for many of these brothers that were forced into labor, and I don't say brothers arbitrarily. Appreciate that, no one. 
it was it was black men in many ways targeted for mm-hmm. this kind of forced labor for the South to reclaim what was once free labor. They basically did it by manipulate manipulating the Thirteenth Amendment. Mm-hmm. One they did when they put brothers to work, you had thirty five and forty five percent increases in deaths mm-hmm. across the board doing this labor. Many of these men were stocked into prisons where they were literally forced to lay on top of each other, no air conditioning, no air. You had men suffocating mm-hmm. in overcrowded prisons, but forced to work literally until death. And, yeah. And if you're not talking about just, you know, we, when we say men, we talk about, about males eight years and up. Yes, sir. Boys and men, no question. Boys and men. So when we say men, we're not talking about men over 18. We're talking about, about boys, you know, starting at the age of eight, nine, and 10, all the way up. But why is this in your assessment? You know, usually I usually I have DGS, you know, here, you know, where we go through it together. But I am formally interviewing him today because this video was fire and I want to I want to support it. But why, in your assessment, do you think it's such a problem for us to say boys and men in regard to African-American history and identify just that group? What do you think? Because, because of what you say is flat blackness and and it's. To make a claim, to make a claim to be human, to make a claim of suffering. Okay, you got to have suffering. Okay, and you know, if even if we look at it, did black, did black females suffer? Yes, they did. But did they suffer to the extent that black males suffer? No, not even close. Even today, when we talk about black blackness, as far as uh, police violence and in prison, about homelessness, nine, homelessness, nine, black everything per year. Two to three hundred black men per year killed by police officers. Yeah, uh, right. you, you look at the prison. Sixty, what thirty thousand to sixty thousand um, um, black women versus six or seven hundred thousand black men. Not counting the ones at home uh, with ankle bracelets. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the homeless, folks know if you watch my last video where I, I raised the question of why black men seem to have a problem with helping each other, uh, we'll we'll erect housing for the homeless and prioritize women and girls which on one level is fine. But when you look at the rates of homelessness across race, 70% of the homeless are male, male. And when you look in the black community, so, you know, when you start talking about, you know, ex cons who can't get housing, even when they have vouchers, what are we talking about when you look at the homeless, but, but to identify black men Mm -hmm. as a group that needs support and to provide that support, even as other black men, Mm -hmm. Or somehow there's a shaming that sign language comes into play there. That's yes. not viewed as a ne- it's not viewed as a positive or as something to aspire to do. Yeah, I mean when we when we make a claim, when black men make a claim, both men and women call it whining. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the biggest things that I hear as well. Not only are you guys just like feminists or uh, who hurts you or you know any mm-hmm. of those kind of things, you also hear that this is whining. But as Black Uru Strikes is saying in the comments, we can look at a number of different. Indices. We can look at unemployment, education, life expectancy. We can go across the board. Mm-hmm. And speaking, black males are more vulnerable. Hell, we can look at the, the top 10 causes of death starting from in the womb, mm-hmm. age 85. Black men are across the board, except for maybe two age groups over the age of 50, the most vulnerable group in terms of death. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely ridiculous. And they've even superseded black women in terms of heart disease. It's just, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. But to point out black men as a vulnerable group is a heresy of some, of some type. Mm-hmm. Even, on, even, even for ourselves. Even for ourselves. Even for ourselves. It, claiming victim status is, is a heresy, even amongst ourselves. Right. Right. And it, it, so 
I go back to something you pulled out in the video as well. Mind you, this video is only 16 minutes. I literally could have played the whole thing uh, for you, but I actually want you to support the video. So after you finish the show, I put the link in the uh, in the comments. I hope you'll actually go listen to the video because it's powerful. But there's one thing you said at a certain point. You said she doesn't want you and, and, and her price doubles, uh, mm-hmm. or at least you said your price, uh, you said your price doubles for her and mm-hmm. she still doesn't respect you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the, the, if you if you take even a, somebody like you that checks boxes, right? Okay, mm-hmm. that 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 does you know. I, I think you. I think I don't know if you mentioned this or not in a uh, in a video about your own personal experience where uh, you made double what a young lady <laughs> made that you were dating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you mentioned this publicly or not. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was it was it was my first attempt at a relationship after my wife passed, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I was still new to teaching. I hadn't mm-hmm. got tenure yet, but I was tenure track, and I was you know I, I was making like sixty. I was I was doing my thing, and she made thirty. Mm-hmm. And I remember she told me, "Well, you don't make enough for me," and I was like, "Word, huh? Mm-hmm. Interesting." So a hundred percent increase is still not okay. on top of, of top of being accomplished on top of being a PhD on top of being educated on top of being six foot two, you know, <laughs> right. seriously on top of being six foot two, you know, you just see these boxes being checked <laughs> and it's still not enough. I, you know, I, you know, yeah, you make 60 and I make 30, but I would, you never had to make 90 or a hundred thing is, and you see them accept the uh, uh, average Brad. Well, well, yeah, we we don't even, yeah, that's average average bread. Oh, you see, uh, you see, I know, I know, I've been down in places like Guatemala and like Nicaragua, like Mexico, right, where they're peasants living in a shack, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and in mm-hmm. as poor as they are, yes, sir. With, nothing, with nothing, that woman shows him the utmost femininity, mm-hmm. the utmost respect, the utmost uh, uh, submission, okay. Mm-hmm. For that man, just be, just because he's making an effort to be with her and support the family, not what he has, but what he's trying to do. Okay. Now, just to, and I'm going to put this. I just went to the uh, the, the Wall Street Journal site, and I'm mm-hmm. letting people know if you make sixty thousand a year, you are in the top twenty one percent of earners in America. Meaning seventy nine percent of America makes less than you. Mm-hmm. If you if you if you put that in the black community, if you make sixty and you're black across gender. You're in the top 13% of black folk. 87% of, um, of black America makes less than you if mm-hmm. you make 60 a year. If you are a male, if you are a black male making 60 a year, right, you are in the top 15% of black men. So, mm-hmm. so what I get to is, you know, something we've been discovering, listening to interviews with Kevin Samuels, which basically, you know, is just kind of outlining the same experiences many of us had, but putting it out in public. Mm-hmm. I've told this story a hundred times, but it's not going to impact you to the degree of hearing a woman call in and say it out loud. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But it's basically the same thing. It doesn't matter. Even if you're in the top 13% of America's, it, it's still not enough. It's not and enough. It, and it wasn't so much for me. It wasn't that it emotionally hurt me that she said it. If, it, if anything, I laughed and I'm not the one to fight you to stay. I'm like, baby, if you need to go, go, you know, do your mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. I know statistics, but but what got me was the contract. 
the contract that I talked about earlier in the 1980s. And, and mm-hmm. that was when I realized the contract was, it didn't really exist. You know, we were, we were lied to in many ways as far as that. And, it, and, and so it brought me to really, it started me on this road to, to this space where I wanted to get around other black men and compare notes. And more and more of us found that the contract didn't exist. It wasn't real. So when you mm-hmm. talk about her price doubling, mm-hmm. explain that. In, in other words, uh, uh, you know, if, if you listen, if you listen to the literature, right, that black men don't have jobs, they they don't have, they can't take care of a family, they're not employed, or they're you know, this this constant thing that uh, black men are falling behind black women at all levels. Okay. You hear that, right? We're the most educated. We have the most businesses. We're making the most money. And then we looked at the BLS report for 2020 um, just a few weeks ago, right? And what we noticed, that what you pointed out, because I saw it, but you pointed out, you noticed it at every income level. I mean, every income level starting at $15,000 a year, right? Age 18 to 65. Eight, from 18 to age 65, black men are at least at least $1,000 to $2,000 ahead of every black woman at every level. Mm-hmm. At every level. For employed so, black men, yes. Employed black men mm-hmm. at every level. Mm-hmm. You actually make and more. Yeah, We actually make more. And the thing is that never gets pointed out. In fact, we get ridiculed, ridiculed as the opposite. And well, what what they really mean is they're we're not making enough for what they want. Yes, and that's where you get to the crux of it. It's yes. not a matter of whether or not you're achieving or doing well. It's are you doing well in relation to what I'm imagining I want? And this is where we get to the top five percent of men mm-hmm. used as a model to measure all men against. And five percent mm-hmm. is purely by materialistic means. I mean, we can have a conversation about maturity, spiritual maturity. We have a conversation about life experience. Are you a, are you in a position to guide someone? Are you in a position to lead a family? Mm-hmm. Do you have the, the bearing to handle the issues that a family has to face? I mean, there's so many different metrics mm-hmm. we can use to measure men. But the metric imposed on men, especially black men, is material. It's material. And so when we start to respond with the data on the material, right, then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, black men are then turned around and accused of being overly materialistic. Right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that we're recently starting to hear, this brewing, uh, you know, impending battle that people are starting to see with, say, uh, Kevin Samuels and Dr. Umar Johnson, right? This, mm-hmm. this tension going back and forth. And the idea that somehow brothers are just, you know, functioning on a materialist level <laughs> and uh, and they, you know, and they're buying into this European idea, but what we're saying is the material is being imposed on black men and the very women that you're trying to couple and build families with are using it as the primary barometer mm-hmm. for value. But and you, but you notice that it, it's not a problem to measure black men and use the barometer. The only problem comes in is when you ask for something in return, mm-hmm. that's when it becomes an issue. Mm. It's not that that there's not high value men and that, that you shouldn't want them or need them. The thing is, what do they get in return? And that's where the issues starting to, that's where the angst is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because to say, if we go down the checklist, we go down mm-hmm. the boxes we talked about early, mm-hmm. over six feet, over six figures, you know, mm-hmm. six inch package, you know, mm-hmm. 
the ability to, to navigate the street and the boardroom, um, you know, to have the six pack and to be muscular and strong, mm-hmm. be able to fight, be able to, you know, you can go down the list. All of that is material. Mm-hmm. All of it is material, but it's not, it's not, it's not described as materialistic. It's described as necessary for her well-being, for the family's well-being, for security. Mm-hmm. But when black men say, okay, well, if those are the things you require, then these are the things I need. Well, all of a sudden that's materialism. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. And the people that are calling out materialism, even the brothers, I'm like, look, I challenge you. Let's take a look at the girlfriends you've had. How many of them did you get with because she had a nice personality? Let me deal with that. The very people that are talking about Western values mm-hmm. are using the same standards in their own lives. Look, if you're going to come to me and tell me that these discussions have no merit, and we're just going to operate on. Okay. Well, what I find interesting is when you've not married and you're talking about, you know, the necessity of building community and nation and all of these things, and you're not marrying, mm-hmm. I'm like, well, what do you, especially if you're over 40 and you're accomplished, what are we actually talking about here? If that is part of your belief system, then it needs to happen. But the reason you're not marrying are the same issues that you and I are talking about right now. Right. Issues you raised in your video. Yes. You know, and this speaks to how pervasive these issues are. There's, it's not an accident that I'm in contact with literally hundreds of black men per week who are telling me the same stories. I have black men that disagree with my position, but tell the same stories. Tell the same story. I have nationalist brothers that say, I can't stand what you're talking about. And I'll be like, I understand. You married? Yes. Where's your wife from? Well, she's from South Africa. She's from you know, Kenya. She's from where? I'm like, oh, really? Okay. So you're an African-American brother, you know, who's accomplished and you married someone from another country. Yeah. Okay. Well, be real. What happened in your upbringing and your experience before you got married with your women here in America? Oh, well, well, and then they start laughing. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you this. I am on the phone or over email or over messenger with brothers that I've never met who have advanced degrees, who are accomplished, who don't like my position, who disagree. Mm. And then when we get into a critical dialogue about their life experience with their own women, mm-hmm. they, they're, they're telling me the same stories. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, what exactly does it take before we can actually begin to have a realistic conversation? The thing is, they can't destroy the floor. What happens? What happens if you destroy the floor? What if? You, what happens when 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 the when the seams and the floor start to come apart? Yeah, yeah. Which is what I was begging for. At least, at least, tell the truth, so we everybody has their cards on the table, and you we will go into it knowing uh, uh, what you're dealing with, with your eyes wide open, knowing how she feels about you. Uh, you know, as a group, I'm not saying all women. I'm going to say that because I know I'm going to get that. Not all, right? I'm not saying all women. The thing is, it's far too pervasive. Been gone way too long, and it's systemic. That's the thing. It is. It's systemic, right? You know, when I can read literature back in the 30s that say it has the exact same pattern as what's going on in, in the 2020s. Come on. But that's the. I think that's to me. You know, the core of what I'm trying to get at. It isn't about. I'm angry about a woman and I'm going to attack everybody or I'm going to get with brothers that are angry about some relationship they had. When you actually begin to look at the history 
you actually begin to look at the policies that created this. I mean, when you talk about something like, and I'm just going to pull one, you talk about uh, no-fault divorce. Mm. Does that have an impact on coupling? If all of a sudden you can not only get divorced, you know, at whim, Mm -hmm. but more often than not get custody and, Mm -hmm. and, and get a strong stake in his income, does that have a bearing on relationships post 1970s? Or oh yeah, definitely, definitely. It's it's the last. It is you know even for patriarchal marriage, right, uh, mm-hmm. or any marriage. Okay, uh, there was always a contract as far as marriage is concerned. When you when you put when you when you actually uh, uh, put people together, organize people in in units, right, which is a family unit for for raising children. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the burden was for the man was to uh, was to provide and take care of the woman and her children, mm-hmm. and his reward for doing such was the one the property and stuff was his, and the children mm-hmm. that he worked for that he paid for were his, and and her reward is he she would always be taken care of, and if said if he if he got rid of her uh, of no fault of her own he had to compensate her. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the thing is, is that if you allow women to to um, choose to eject somebody from marriage and they get the children and rewards, guess what? What's going to happen? One, women are going to take advantage, and two, marriage is going to go down because it's a bad deal because there's no incentive for a man to get married because at any day, everything he worked for for twenty years, including his children, can be taken from him. Mm-hmm. And even in matriarchies in Africa, you know, okay, you know, if if the wife gets dissatisfied after. 10, 15 years. Okay, you can go. You can mm-hmm. leave. If you get dissatisfied, guess what you leave with? <laughs> you leave with nothing. Okay. If you if it's that bad and I'm that bad to you, I'm that cruel to you, and you want to leave, you leave with nothing because it's that bad. Okay. That's a powerful incentive for a wife to stay. Right. Not only is it incentive for a wife, when I look at now, like I you right now. You can get into a relationship. I'm talking about you, VGS, right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get into a relationship right now. And if it does not go well, especially if you're falsely accused mm-hmm. of abuse with no evidence, mm-hmm. you can you can lose the house you're living in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you marry and get divorced, you can. Be, and this is this. I'm saying for this to be so accessible for people. I mean, where so many men have gone through the same experience without any safeguards, no mm-hmm. balances of any significance. And you're going to tell me this doesn't have an impact not only on mating, marriage rates, so on and so forth. Or hell, we can talk about birth rates, mm-hmm. right? The impact of all of that. These things have impact on worldview and behavior. And that's mm-hmm. the point that I'm trying to get across in regard to masculinism. It's not about hating women or being mad at women because somebody broke your heart or you know what that's not what it is we're looking at this systemically and we're looking at how the systemic the macro affects the micro we're looking at how the policies affect the woman that's standing in front of you or the wife you marry or the Mm -hmm. mother of your children and Mm -hmm. the degree to which she can have conversations with family members yes or you get married in preparation for what she can do to you. It's yes. She's going to do it. It's not to say that, you know, it is simply to say she's been prepared. You and you, this is something you mentioned in your video as well. You talked about women who have had family members prepare mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. for what you can do to him to exact control. Yes. Expound on that. 
Yes, I, I, I was saying that, uh, I said that, that this is so embedded about uh, this, 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 uh, them not wanting you or the disrespect or the contempt or, you know, the, the lack of respect for, for their men that a man can actually go to another culture, bring back a wife, bring mm -hmm. back a woman. Mm -hmm. And not not the world, not not her girlfriends or coworkers. Your female relatives mm -hmm. will insist on schooling her on how to control you, put you in your proper place, not letting you think that you that you have some kind of independence or some kind of control over your own family. Yeah, yeah. And you know, there's another area to this that I've only heard you and I talk about, uh, and I don't know if I'm not saying no one else does, but I've only heard it from you and I, we talked about the experience of, of kind of being passed off like a horse. Yes. Uh, from a mother to a new wife. Yes. Explain that a little bit. if You, <laughs> you know, with the, 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 in, in a patriarchy, that's why I call this, this, this subculture that we have in the United States and Negro culture is a gynocracy in patriarchy, right? Who gives away, the, the, who gives away the the daughter to the husband? Mm -hmm. Who passes the, the the daughter to the husband to a husband's family who is control? It's the father, right? Father, yeah. The father, the the father makes sure that they school the the wife on how to act and basically in school the the the, the husband on what his duties are as far as you know taking control of his wife and his in his family. Okay. Mm -hmm. In other words, he the father gives away the bride to the husband, literally, right? Right. In a matriarchy, your mother gets with your girlfriend or your wife and schools schools her on how to control you. Mm -hmm. so basically, she's passing control of you to, to your wife or to yeah. your girlfriend. My mother, I saw my mother did that. I remember uh, back in the day when, the, you know, the debit cards first came out, really. I think the debit cards first came out in 1985, right? Mm -hmm. And so... You know, I'm a single man. I, you know, just in case, some, you know, if you're a black man, you can get locked up, arrested. And if you need bail, somebody has to go get money for you. Right. So mm -hmm. I had two, one for me and one for my mother. Right. In case of emergencies. Right. Mm -hmm. OK. Uh, I, I got engaged with, to my fiance. Right. And we moved mm -hmm. in together. I saw my mother literally hand her my debit card and tell her uh, you have him now. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know that. You have him now, and now it's your turn to take care of him, right? <laughs> Appreciate that, man, Friday. I'm laughing because I went through the same thing. I remember when I got married, her family would call to check to see on how I was treating her. Mm -hmm. My family would, my, especially my mother, my mother would call her mm -hmm. to see how I was treating her. I mean, now I'm I've never been married before. It's my first marriage, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't have family members call to say, "Hey man, how's the marriage going? How is the relationship going? Do you need any advice?" Especially elders. Mm -hmm. They called and asked her how mm -hmm. I was treating her. Now there's two there's two posts, uh two comments that I want to put up that uh that kind of speak to this. You know, shout out to Uru. He over there killing it in the comments. But he says, my own grandmother told my wife not to let me get away with mistreating her. Now, this is what I'm referring to. He's not saying his grandmother said, hey, uh, you know, hey, baby, how's marriage going with you? How's your wife treating you? Mm -hmm. That's not what the conversation was. His grandmother, who <laughs> who has known him since the day he came out of his mother, 
mm-hmm. checking with the wife about him. Mm-hmm. Right? Same thing with the next one. This is from Bishop X. My auntie sat next to my white ex and said, let me teach you how to check this boy. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're talking about? That's what I'm talking about. Okay. I just want to know. What That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Mm-hmm. They, they, they are giving control. They, they have control over you when you're, when you, when you're coming up as a, as a boy, uh, which is one of the other things that, that they don't do with their girls. They give the girls independence and they, they want to control the boys. Right. And they literally hand over control from, from, from one female household to the next. Literally. Hey, this wait a minute. There's a, let me do this real quick. I'm going to send this out. Uh, this brother is, is, is saying a few things and I'm going to see if he, if he'll come up in here, but, um, I don't know. It's not guaranteed. He may be busy. Okay. But brother Ronald, I sent you the link to your, uh, your Facebook. Uh, I don't know what your time is. I don't know what your time is. He may not be able to, it's understandable, but, um, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, so, I saw the comment. <laughs> man, you you can't drop that and not explain that. Man. <laughs> you had to come up here and explain that. Not that I not that I disagree. I just it needs to be stated. Uh, what's up, Roger? Report. Thank you for that support. Good to see you in here, man. I just I just met the brother on uh, Doctor Dunbar's uh, stream last weekend. Y'all support the Roger Report. <laughs> Y'all support the Roger Report. Y'all support uh, Doctor Dunbar. What's the name of Doctor Dunbar's channel? Uh, Dr. Dunbar's channel, uh, he has several of them, but uh, Big Discussion 76, if you put that in any one of the search engines, all four of his channels will come up. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Um, You know, so the brother's definitely uh, doing some work. But no, man, so, you know, but this ownership thing speaks to Mm -hmm. uh, something that we haven't been able to voice until the last few years. And and I've been told, you know, something about this, but I... I heard of this concept of the gynocracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, why is it first, you know, for those who may not know what it is, can you explain it? But then also tell us why is it that it took until a few years ago before we really started to now there have been there have been there have been indications. I mean, mm-hmm. even Dr. Martin Luther King, I said this before, even Dr. Martin Luther King identified the what he called the black matriarchy. So we've mm-hmm. had, you know, you know, we, we've had elements of this. Uh, uh, sociologist Robert Staples. Uh, did so as well, but when we talk about a gynocracy, why why did this have to be newly developed? Uh, what, what, how would you so tell us what it is and why is it new? Okay, the gynocracy is uh, is not a matriarchy, right? Uh, okay. The matriarchy is uh, as as it put is basically it has uh, is is a is matrifocal, which is the the women have control of the family. But the thing is, is that they have patriarchal control by their men. So, in other words, government laws, uh, uh, control of society is actually done by men, even though it's a so called matriarchy. Basically, a matriarchy is 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 a what called equity, where there's a balance between male and female. A patriarchy is an imbalance between male and female, where 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 men actually rule over everything. They own, they literally own their women and children and families and everything else. Okay, okay. A gynocracy is ruled by women. Okay. Which is which which is very difficult to actually achieve because normally men are the builders, they're stronger, they can overpower you. The thing is, is that they can only exist in a greater patriarchy, which we have in the United States, uh, which is explained. You have white patriarchal control, but but on the ground, by law, going back to you know seventeen fifty in, in Virginia, 
where the, the control of the black family was actually handed over to women. Mm-hmm. So this control of the black, what we call the black subculture, the Negro is actually ruled by women. And the money, the power, the finance is all filtered through the black woman. So the black woman literally controls and rules the black family and the black the black society. But it's 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 backed by policy. Backed by policy. So what we're really saying is you're talking about white control by proxy. By proxy. By structured by policy. See, structured by we're policy. at this whole issue of whether or not black masculinism is just, you know, black feminism is just the reverse. No, what we're talking about is something that is rooted in the history. It's rooted in the policy. It's mm-hmm. rooted in the structures that a society depends on from employment to education mm-hmm. across the board. If, if, you think, if, if you think about it, look at all the programs, look at Goldman Sachs and Google. Uh, where do they filter the money through? Did they say we're going to, you know, Monaghan wanted uh, the money to be filtered through um, filtered through the black male. In other words, they wanted the black the black family fit in just like every other part of the patriarchal society. Right. And mm-hmm. black women refused. They refused to give up control. Yeah. yeah. In other words, they, they, they you know. I always say, you know, what is the greatest trick that Dever ever pulled to convince people that he didn't exist, right? What is the what is the uh, what is the uh, uh, the best trick that the gynocracy ever ever pulled to right. convince black men that the gynocracy doesn't exist, even though we know that we do, that, that it does, because you cannot criticize black women, mm. you can't talk against them, you can't do anything against them, because everybody knows in the black community, it, and Shea Morris, you found that out. If you piss off black women, you can be economically punished. Oh yeah! Immediately, <laughs> you found that out quick. Boy. You found it out quick. If you don't mm-hmm. kiss the ring, the the gynocracy ring, you'll be you'll be uh, punished immediately. Uh, mm-hmm. We found out that 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 uh, the gynocracy flexed its muscles in the twenty twenty elections mm-hmm. by strong arming black men to vote Democrat. Right, right, and this push to get uh, you know a certain vice the vice president into office. Mm-hmm. And when black men tried to argue, it, it's not a question of whether it, black men were not opposed to a female vice president, mm-hmm. or black female vice president. What we were saying was the one y'all are pushing mm-hmm. is a problem. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, if you were if you were if you spoke, you know, ill of voting, you know, for her, you know, in, in terms of trying to purposely get her into office you were inherently appreciate that otis you were inherently you know uh, uh misogynist right mm-hmm. but you know recently we saw it came out and i'll probably do a short video on this going into more depth where she talked about how racism doesn't really exist mm-hmm. you know, and it's an interesting thing because you started to see black women frustrated with her about it talking about being publicly embarrassed right and this is coming from some black women that were so, you know, like Amanda Seals that were pushing so hard for this. They, she was telling people, don't even look into the history. Don't look into these candidates' backgrounds. Vote because we need this black woman in office. And didn't even qualify for whether or not the black woman should even Even overlook her white Jewish husband. Or the degree to which her, you know, mixed heritage would play out <laughs> in, in terms of the degree to which she would go to bat mm-hmm. for black issues. You know what I mean? It, but none of that was on the table because we just had to get a woman in there. And so mm-hmm. now you have sisters coming out publicly and saying we're embarrassed that we picked her. And it's kind of like, 
When black men said it, it was a problem. Mm-hmm. Now, anyway, but there's something else you said in your in your video. You talked about you asked the question, and this is a question that I think many of the brothers deal with in this space, and are at least courageous enough to publicly talk about it. The question you posed was, "Why struggle with women who don't want you?" Talk yes. about how you came up with that and what what's around that. Um, the thing is, is that if you if you look at if you look at what we have to struggle to just to be with black women and in the outcomes of not just us, but also our boys, mm-hmm. you know, uh, men being homeless, uh, boys being undereducated um, and they're showing you, th- you know, they show you that their contempt and their mm-hmm. lack of respect. Mm-hmm. And and we're jumping over all these hurdles to be, you know, as they say, alpha your way through it. You got to be better. You got to earn more. You got to take better control. You got to build all these businesses and basically, you know, bootstrap your way up so that you can, you know, uh, jump over the, uh, you know, climb up the the, the, the castle wall and be with her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, but, but you have other groups. You, you look around and, and see other women and other groups of men that don't have to go through any of that. Right. Right. The, the, the women meet the men where they are, where they are. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that, you know, and we do, we've done this for 150 years. At what point is it enough? Mm-hmm. How many how many bodies do we have to sacrifice, man? Uh, 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 how, how much blood do we have to shed? How many how much suffering do black men have to go through before we say enough is enough? Now, I don't know. I would you know, I, I would love to have a functional uh, black community that that functions not just for women but for everybody. Appreciate that, AB. What's going on? Now, and and at what point do black men said, you know, I'm not getting enough getting enough return? Yeah, for the investment. At what point do you enough do you, uh, return on investment? You know, we're talking about we're not talking about, talking about just investment for for this generation or future generations. What we've already done. Yeah. At what point is that enough? They build statues for people, for, for groups of men that done half of what we've done. Yeah. We got you know? uh, 478 in the building. Again, like, share, subscribe, join, and donate. Support the channel. I'm going to bring in one Dr. Ronald Neal. Oh, there he is. What's going on, man? Hey, how you guys doing? I am humbled. How you doing? <laughs> listen, listen, I, I was... I was just sitting back, man, enjoying the conversation, man. You know? <laughs> I, I, I just want to sit back and listen <laughs> to these geniuses wax eloquently on, you know, black masculinism uh, in our situation. And, uh, you know, once it, got, once it got to a certain point, man, I'm like, <laughs> I couldn't hold back, man. You know what I mean? And uh, dropping nuclear bombs. <laughs> yeah, he did. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> if you would, man, tell us a little bit about what you were saying and why, because that was that was powerful. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, it's clear that we have this mentality where black women see themselves as managers. Mm. Overseers. overseers of black men mm-hmm. and I would go 
so far as to say that they are colonial administrators. Mm. And I think that I think that we have to use the language of imperialism um, and you know colonial coloniality as they as we as we say in, the, in academia mm. to think about this mm. and that we have been managed in this country um, through women in this type of fashion, you know, mm. and this is about policing, this is about control. Uh, this is about management. This is about keeping keeping black men in their places. Mm. And I mean, we have to recognize the extent to which black women have internalized racism mm. and our interactions with black women from the time that we jump out of their wombs um, until the time that we uh, go to our graves. Um, are uh, impacted um, by this internalized racism. And, uh, and, and it's, I mean, it's in our relationships, it's everywhere. And mm -hmm. it's really, I mean, it's a mirror. It's a mirror of the larger society. So when we think about how the larger society treats black men, we think about the larger white society um, and the hostility that white society has towards us, and the incessant demand to police um, our sexuality, um, to police our aspirations, um, what we want to be, our desires for greatness, whatever you want, you know, however, however you want to articulate it, mm -hmm. um, you have to see black women as a reflection of that. And unfortunately, unfortunately, and I've said this before, I said this last time we were together, they have not developed the type of internal uh, introspective mechanism that would force them to come to terms with that. The extent to which they have internalized white supremacy mm. and how that is enacted in our relations with one another. So the superiority complex, the mm. idea that she is fundamentally superior mm -hmm. to black men, black men Mm -hmm. It is a corollary. Mm -hmm. All right. It is a subsidiary <laughs> of white supremacy. Mm. So you have to look at the idea of white people feeling, you know, seeing themselves as being superior to black people or black peoples. And her sense of superiority is simply just an offshoot of that. Mm. That's it. Mm. Wow. And, uh, and, and we and we don't have anything within the culture. And that's why. You all mentioned Kevin. That's that's why Kevin is, is catching so much hell right now, mm -hmm. um, because Kevin is fundamentally questioning their sense of superiority. Mm. Mm. Kevin is questioning their beliefs that they exist on a plane that is, um, you know, higher than black men and that black men are utterly beneath them. Yes. And what Kevin yeah. is doing, Kevin is doing is he is. He is questioning all of the assumptions that come with black female superiority. Uh -huh. He is questioning their, their sense of being exceptional because yeah. what happens is they see themselves as being exceptional in this country, in America, um, you know, within the context of, of, of whiteness, but they're also exceptional when they contrast themselves 
are in juxtaposition to us. Mm. And what Kevin is saying to them is that, no, you're not exceptional. Right. You're not exceptional. And here are the reasons why you are not exceptional. You are not superior. Mm -hmm. And these are the reasons why you are not superior. Okay. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. this is an affront yeah. um, to their sense of se their self and who they are, especially the, the professional educated women, the women who have done, you know, pretty well for themselves and what have you, um, mm -hmm. who, we you know, women who just don't look in the mirror. So I just, I, I think that, you know, it's one thing. Yes. It's one thing to talk about her as an overseer and we can do that. Um, but I think the language of imperialism, uh, the language of, uh, uh the colonizer, um, I think that that's functional. I think that's useful. You know, of course, of course, she doesn't have the power of an imperial power. She doesn't have the power of a colonizing power, but she has the psychology of an imperialist. Well, she has the psychology of an imperialist, but it's also backed by a proxy societal access to, to, to be able to enact certain things against black men that black men don't have the power to do. Yes. You know what I mean? Whether you're talking about arbitrarily accusing man, a man of, of, of assault or rape, or whether you're talking about the kind of thing that can take place in regard to a divorce. You know, mm -hmm. we can talk about it on multiple levels, but those specific abilities that are far more uh, entrenched in terms of what women have access to, th this, is tied to, this is tied to the psychology you're talking about. Yeah. It's the means by which that power dynamic is expressed and what Black men actually feel, what they have to respond to. You know, when you start talking about brothers who are going to prison, over child support or losing uh, losing jobs over a false, arbitrary false accusation. I just posted an article uh, a few days ago about a young woman that used a man to kill another man she was upset about mm -hmm. or upset with. And she did it by arbitrarily and falsely accusing the gentleman she wanted killed of rape. Mm -hmm. and she, we appreciate that, Rock. Uh, rock one and, and, and she went to court and basically admitted oh i just made that up mm -hmm. right? this mm -hmm. is a power and this goes back to the victorian you know this is something you and Gigi uh dealt with you know incredibly well you know what i mean where we, we get to this victorian uh, you know uh, femininity mm -hmm. that can be protected but it's been weaponized and used in a very particular way that speaks to this type of of of, of imperialist you know, approach that you're talking about, Doctor D. Mm -hmm. It's powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and and we see it being enacted. You know, I I had someone recently send me some um, information on um, that the, the ten was it the, the ten billion dollar um, Goldman Sachs Goldman mm -hmm. Sachs thing with a mm -hmm. list of a list of people who are part of that black people. Um. Interestingly, one of the people who was behind that is Condoleezza Rice, mm. Mm -hmm. and uh, and there were some other you know figures as well, you know, and uh, and so I mean this is so when you have that kind of proximity to whiteness and white power and what have you, and you're able to function in that way, um, I mean that just reinforces your sense, you know, of being something that is even something. You know, you're 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 someone you're, you're beyond black. Mm -hmm. There's there's, there's a, a transcendental exceptionalism that's going on there, with lots of these women. Okay, um, that is 
in my estimation, I mean, it's, it's megalomaniacal as far as I'm as far as I'm concerned. You mm. know what I mean? And 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 what you know, people like Kevin, not just Kevin, but what what we're doing. Mm-hmm. What we're doing is we are deflating it. We are we are we are questioning. We're putting pins in it, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and bringing it to the ground. You know, and I, I mean, you know, and you know, BGS was saying earlier. You know, I don't know. He doesn't know. You know, when, if and when this will ever disappear or dissipate or what have you. Um, but regardless of you know what happens in the future, I think that you know we have to continue to to critique it and deconstruct it. You know what yeah. I mean? Because it is it is it's dehumanizing. Yeah. 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 And this and I think this is at the core of, of something else. Man. Appreciate that snuggle. Um this is at the core of something BGS brought up in, in his video as well. And he talked about this very basic issue of cooperation. This is toward the end of the video. He talked about um the refusal for basic level cooperation, right? And I think when you kind of link that to what Dr. Neal is asserting, you know, why do you cooperate with those you're colonizing? Mm-hmm. You know, there's no reason to. You described it as the floor. Well, you used a couple. You used the floor, um, and then you also talked about the old car. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that. Okay. <laughs> okay. I said the... Uh... Uh, the floor that said the, the 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 support you know the floor is needed you may not want it but the floor is needed that's your support that's your basic level of support your foundation okay the thing is is that i always say what do you do to a floor you don't respect the floor because you walk on it mm. you don't respect the floor until until you fall through it same thing with the car okay you say you know uh, especially with a woman you're given a car at, at 17 18 years old and it's one of those Japanese cars that just run forever, right? As long as you keep it tuned up and lubed, it'll run forever, right? And that car is uh, is what you know considered a bucket, right? But it gets you to work, gets you every place you want to go in town. It never fails you, right? right? But the thing is, you don't you don't like the car, you don't like the way it looks, you don't like the way it, it wouldn't be. It was not your first choice. Mm-hmm. It was just your default mode of transportation, right? But the thing is, you can't afford better. You can't afford to go out and buy the car that you really want. So you're stuck with this car, even though the car is perfectly fine, perfectly dependable. You actually need have to have it to go to work, to get to, to get yourself around town, to do what you never need, whatever you need to do. But mm-hmm. ultimately, you're dissatisfied with the car, not because it's, it's not serviceable, is that you don't like it. Mm. It's not your first choice. Mm. You don't like the way it looks. You don't like the way people look at you or your coworkers look at you when you get in it. Okay, you're ashamed of it because because it's even though it's serviceable, it's not you. Yeah. Mm. Can I say this to think about a different type of analogy? So here's here's the thing. Think Mm -hmm. about this. Why is it that white people have 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 not complete have not completely disposed of black people? Mm. Mm. When 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 you had an opportunity to do this Mm -hmm. after slavery. Uh, during Jim Crow, mm-hmm. uh, the middle of the 20th century, mm-hmm. uh, and you had all this talk, even, I mean, you had up into the 70s, you know, all this stuff about we don't need the Negro. Mm-hmm. Why is it that white people continue? If white people hate us so much, right? Mm-hmm. And they despise us, 
why why is it that they haven't just gone ahead and just enacted the final solution to get rid of us? Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm. And they haven't done that because they need us in some kind of way. They do. They need us. That's why they've kept us around in mm. a, in, a, in a kind of marginal fashion. And I'll give you an international example. So. If we look at Africa, you look at colonization in Africa and what have you, you know, I mean, you would think that after independence and after, you know, Nigeria, you would think that after uh, the Congo, after different parts of Africa, you know, are seemingly emancipated from their colonial powers, that they would be able to find their own way. Yeah. But Europe, Europe has not been able to stay out of Africa. Mm-hmm. And it still mm-hmm. continues to hold on to Africa in a kind of paternalistic fashion. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Europe doesn't eat without Africa. Yeah. But I want to I want to bring this a little closer to home. Dr. Neil, you put forth a video three days ago mm-hmm. called the Black Man Removal Program, and I put the link in the in the in the chat on YouTube for the listeners, but. How do you first please describe what that is mm-hmm. and, and and tell us how do you think it relates to our conversation? Absolutely, absolutely. So you know, I, I was man, this the video happened while I was just I was in the park, man, and and I'm just observing and watching things and you know, and I and, and we all see things as we go about in our daily activities and what have you, but I'm in a park where there is a family event and there are all sorts of families that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, there are black people there. There are Latinos there. There are, there are white people. Most of the folks who are there are, um, are white. Mm-hmm. And I, I just began thinking about the, ner- the nature of things mm-hmm. and, and looking at the composition of the folks who are there. And I'm seeing families. What stands out the most were families, mm-hmm. mothers, fathers, daughters, sons, aunts, uncles, whatever, okay? And the white family, if we look at the white family as a team, the team is intact. Okay. You look at the Latino family, Latino family as a team, the Latino family is intact. Mm. You look at the black families there, they're fragmented. Yeah. So I see, I see women out there with their children, and I see a few men. Mm-hmm. And and what it what it you know it occurs to me that this is America. This is a window. This is a this is a microcosm of America and how things work in this in this country. And and I began to to just see that okay, the reason why we are not configured in the same way as these white people, mm-hmm. as these Latinos, and there were other groups where I mentioned in the video who were not represented, Jews. Uh, people of Middle Eastern background, Asians and what have you. The reason why we are not configured like that is because of policy, because of culture, because of politics, that black the black male has been removed, mm. removed from the family deliberately. OK, mm. and and this black female has been propped up by society as the, the functionary, as the mm. leader, as the head and what have you. Mm-hmm. And she enjoys her position. Mm-hmm. The, the woman who leads the household, she does not 
want to share any semblance of authority with a man in the household. Mm -hmm. I mean, the majority of black female households, okay? She loves the fact that she runs it. And in white society has created a situation where her status can flourish and continue. Um, and so, yeah, when I was in that, in that moment right there, all I saw, I saw history, man. I saw history. I saw social engineering. I mm. saw welfare policies. I saw family policies. Mm. I saw employment policies. I saw, um, 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 you know, targeted employment. I saw all sorts of things. Yes. One thing that I did not mention in that video, I didn't have time to do it. A black man, a young black man who was under the age of 30, I'm sitting at the park bench. And a young black man under the age of 30 came and sat right next to me. And I get to talking to him and come to find out he came to the park to see his kids. He came to the park because the, uh, the mother of his children told him to meet her there to see his kid. Okay. And I started digging into the story and he just began to unravel, I mean, all of this antagonism and all of this tension between he and mm -hmm. the mother mm -hmm. of the child. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, and I mean, I, I'm not going to go into, you know, elaborate detail about the whole story, but um, that played into a lot of my whole adventure in that scenario. So the Black Male Removal Program is very real. Mm. It is very real in... Um, so we are not making stuff up right. when we talk about the, the things that we talk about and, and, and the policies uh, when we talk about, you know, uh, what is going on right now. Uh, you know, in the aftermath of 2020 and George Floyd, I mean, everything now is like F black men. I mean, just mm -hmm. F yeah. black men. Yeah. Everything yeah. has been everything has been diverted away from it, yeah. you know. I'm looking at so much. I'm looking at all the outrage of some of the, the like like Samaria Rice, the mother of uh, Tamir Rice, and, okay. and other women right. who are just they're fuming at BLM. They're fuming at BLM mm -hmm. at the extent to which that they've you know exploited the deaths of their sons. Yeah. Okay. And all the, everything has been diverted to other agendas. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a part of the design. That is social engineering right there. Yeah. That's the removal program. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm going to close this out very soon. But what I'd like to do is to have my two esteemed guests uh, conclude their remarks in response to something BGS posed in his video. I'm just going I'm just going to read the line and I'm going to start with Dr. Neal and then I'm going to let BGS, you know, give his reflections on the line. Uh, the statement was they need you, but don't want you. Dr. Neal, what are your thoughts? <sighs> that's, that's, <laughs> again, um, that is, that, that is her internal paradox. Um, hell, that's the paradox of the United States, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's it's it, 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 it's it's reflective of our relationship with this country. It's much bigger than her. Mm -hmm. it, it enacts itself through her, but it's much bigger than her. Mm -hmm. You know, the way she looks at us is the way 
in which this country looks at us. Mm, say that again. Mm -hmm. I'll say again, say the way that she looks at us is the way that this country looks at us. This mm -hmm. country really doesn't want to. I mean, part of, part of it might want to get rid of black men, but they really don't want to get rid of black men. Mm. Because there is so much about black masculinity in this country, all right, that has made America what it is. In the eyes of the world. Right. That the black male image, and this is our leverage, the black male image has impacted the way people outside of the U.S. look at America, okay? And in, in terms of popular culture, in terms of our own political activity, uh, at, at so many levels. So we're, we're hated. It's almost like a love-hate, and I hate that I'm, I'm, I'm using language. It's a love-hate relationship, man. Mm -hmm. That's it. And so I think that that's, that's what BGS, when I hear, when BGS said we said, it's, it's this deep love-hate relationship. Mm -hmm. And black men need to decide whether they want to and you have a choice. Yeah. You can entertain this love-hate relationship. Yes, or sir. You can, or you can reject it altogether. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Yeah, choice is 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 uh the architect said in, in Neil it said in, in the Matrix choice. Choice yeah. is a choice is a problem right now. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, as uh, Dr. Curry has you know put in his work, okay. And I'm sure Dr. Neal has said this also. Black men have been in, been put in this box for so long, for three or four years. Black men have been in a box that they couldn't get out of. And all of a sudden, what happens when the box is no longer there? And black men have choice. Mm -hmm. You know, like like uh, it used to be the uh, 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 it used to be the color line. Now it's no line. Okay, what yeah. will black men do now that they have choice? And that's the, that's the angst that we have with our women nowadays. That's how come the black manosphere is uh is so hated it's not that we really uh deride women the thing is is that we're actually expressing our choice you know our dissatisfaction with what we're getting mm -hmm. and what they're afraid of is that what happens when when like i say what happens when the seams of the floor come apart and there's no floor yeah who can what catches the black community the, the, that's been supporting the bodies of black men that have been supporting this black community for for two three four hundred years okay the the that actually the literal bodies of men, black men dying, you know, that support this community. What happens when that's no longer there? When black men no longer are willing to make the sacrifice, which is really, if you if you listen to uh, uh, pro-black and conscious community literature, they're asking black men to, to alpha, okay, alpha your way through it, put up with it, bear with it, don't leave, okay, okay. It's it's not about the women; it's about you making the choice to stay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What happens when black men don't want to make that choice anymore? Absolutely. And, and, and I would say that that is the <clears throat> that's the fear that they have. Right. Mm -hmm. That's why the black manosphere, in many respects, um, threatens them. OK. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, because this is this is this is digital. This is forever. <laughs> yeah. And and, you know, there's no telling what type of implications that this is going to have 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road, mm -hmm. you know, and they have no other alternatives. Yeah. OK. I mean, because the other groups, the other men, the, the Asians, Latinos, hell, the white men. I don't care how much corporate America is trying to pair black women with white women. I'm, I'm sorry, black women with white men together. Mm -hmm. um, some things you can't force, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, yeah, they can't. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. white men have never been. There's never been a barrier between white black, white men choosing black women. Absolutely. Ever. 
Well, and the other thing I want to I want to keep on the table when we talk about choice, you know, you'll have people that'll come in and say, "Well, you guys are just talking about you know other groups of women or white women or whatever." The mm-hmm. choice, the choices that you see black men engaging with, hell, even the brothers on this panel, mm-hmm. you know, you 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 got variations of SYSBM, you got monkhood. Mm-hmm. That's the extent to which black men are frustrated. You got brothers who are intelligent, accomplished, have something to bring to the table and opt to be alone rather than deal with the, the, the contempt we're talking about. And and that's dismissed when people say, well, you guys just want, other, you know, you just want white women or you just want. Mm-hmm. Them. I'm like, no, I'm talking about intelligent, accomplished brothers who would rather be alone. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't tell you something, I don't know what will. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There was a time I was I said this a few months ago. It was Traveris, appreciate that. I was saying this to a uh you know to a couple of brothers I got with, we were having a discussion, and it was about six or seven of us. And everybody in there at least had a college degree, but they were all accomplished, they were homeowners, all of that, and they were all ages from 30 to well, really between 30 to 65, right? And 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 the thing about it was not one of us were married. And I said, you know, this is interesting. If you rewound this conversation 60, 70 years ago, it would be, you know, it would be the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's no way you'd have this, this, you know, six or seven accomplished brothers on here where none of us were married. It made no sense. But it speaks to the shift that we're seeing in the culture. And yet you have people that'll just dismiss it as uh, black men just want white women or, you know, black men. I'm like, no, you got brothers that would rather be alone. That's deep to me. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Y'all tell me, but no, I mean it's it's it, it's it's not just you. It's it's real, and at least from, I guess my my unscientific, you know, sociological observations of the of the manosphere and technology. I mean, a good number of the brothers that we have in our spaces are we have professional men. We have guys who mm-hmm. um, are learned, who read, or what have you. I mean, we have the the tech heads. We have the guys who. Um, who are doing very well for themselves. So, I mean, this is not, um, you know, a, a place where, you know, uh, the tropes the tropes of black women can really be entertained. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it's kind of like uh, going back to Kevin Samuels, when Kevin Samuels is, is constantly, you know, trying to, or not just trying to, but asserting the fact that, you know, uh, there are black men who are functional. There are black men who are, um, 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 stable and accomplished, and who are mm-hmm. doing well, and mm-hmm. that and that all your ideas mm-hmm. over the last fifty years, um, you know, that suggest that you know a black man of Kevin Samuel's stature is a unicorn is just bogus. Mm-hmm. And um, and, and you know, um, I, I I mean I'm with you. I mean I, I think this is I mean we're we are this is a very unique moment. This is a unique moment that we are in right now, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't think that we, I mean, we're not going to be the same after this. Um, yeah. the, people, yeah. the, the people, the people who come behind us, I mean, they're not going to be the same, man. This is, I mean, we, we, I mean, black culture, black America, I mean, the shift that is going on right now is, is mm-hmm. so radical um, that, that it, 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 it's difficult to really, you know, fathom what's happening in the now i mean historians are going to have to look back at this and make sense of it all mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, I, and, I, and to answer your question about the uh, is black masculinism 
uh, just black masculine feminism in reverse. No, feminism is to change is how to change society in their image, right? I think black masculine is about uh, black men changing themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Knowing themselves and changing themselves because it's really not about anybody else, society, women, anything else. It's about men knowing who they are and what they are and what they face. Absolutely. Absolutely. Appreciate that support, K-Ron. Appreciate that. The lead attorney. Good to see you in here, man. Uh, appreciate that, Rob Black. Thank you for the support, y'all. Um, I want to I want to thank my, my 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 panel in here for coming through. Y'all make sure you support Black Gnostic. Is it is it Black Gnostic Immore? What's the other channel? Yeah. Oh, it's a uh, Black Pill Gnostic. Black Pill Gnostic, and definitely support Dr. Ronald Neal. Go check out his channel. I put the links to both of their most recent videos uh, in the comments. So uh, make sure you check that. Or thank you, brothers, for coming up in here. Thank uh, you, brother. Hey, all right, man. Appreciate you. I'm gonna take you down. Um, and brother BGS, as usual, it's always a pleasure and an honor. So thank you for coming through, man. No, anytime. Man. My time is your time, doc. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, we're going we're gonna to get that name changed for the T and change it to truth. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> get you a shield. Get that man a shield. <laughs> I, I, artist, <laughs> but I appreciate you, man. Thank you. All right. Uh, I'm going to pull you down. Though, all right. All right. Uh, all right. So here's the thing. Um, as usual, we have an office hours. We, we're going to chop it up for about an hour after this live broadcast. Give me about five or so minutes, uh, you know, 10 at the most to set up the link. And this is for my Patreon and YouTube members. You can come in uh, depending on what level of membership you have. You can communicate in the comments or you can come up into onto the screen and we can dialogue. Uh, but like I said, we're doing that for about an hour after the show and uh, mainly you know, tonight I'm going to uh, be kind of getting through it as quickly as I can because uh, I pressure cooked a, a roast th- this evening and I'm got to serve dinner. Uh, but I want to thank you guys for participating. Appreciate that support, Tim. I want to thank you guys for, for, for participating and engaging this. Um, and I'm going to uh, go ahead and y'all know how I like to close it out. We're going to do it right, though. And I'm going to put this on the screen because I want brothers to have access to it. And I want us to be able to to share the message of it. As a matter of fact, let me see. Let me go ahead and put it there. So, brothers, be reminded that we are not criminals by birth, perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man children, sperm donors, uh, child support wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, brainless henchmen, Valueless assassins, pro bono mercenaries, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, emotional tampons, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype. We are thinkers, inventors, innovators, leaders, fathers, warriors, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who would genuinely respect you. And remember, Your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic, selfish, and unrealistic needs. You define your worth, brothers. Peace.